Welcome to the Insurance Exam Podcast. I'm going to be sharing with you four sample lessons for the Property Casualty Insurance Exam. These four sample lessons are just four of the 24 audio lessons that make up the full Property Casualty Insurance Exam audio lessons course. The full course is 10 hours and 18 minutes in total length. And if you find these sample lessons valuable, please go to the website, insuranceexampodcast.com, and purchase the full bundle of audio lessons. Now let's get on to the sample lesson for today. This is the Property Casualty Insurance Audio Lessons. This is lesson number three, the insurance policy. Welcome to this lesson about the property and casualty insurance exam. In this lesson, we will be talking about policy declarations, the insuring agreement, conditions and exclusions, and a few other topics. At the end, I will give you a moment to go ahead and think about what you've learned so that you'll be able to decide whether you're ready to go on a quiz you so you can figure out whether you're doing well or whether you might need to review. So let's go ahead and get started. So first, let's talk about policy declarations. A policy declaration is the part of an insurance policy that gives the details about the type of coverage, the time, the location, the names of the parties, the type of property, the limits on coverage, and any deductibles that might apply. So you might already know what a deductible is, but just in case, that's the amount the insured has to pay out of pocket when they make a claim. So this is pretty common for, let's say, auto insurance, that if the person makes a claim, then they have to pay, say, $500 deductible. So they first have to pay the first $500 and then the insurance will take care of things beyond that. It's just a way to offset some of the cost to share it with the insured so that the premiums can stay a bit lower. Because if you never have to make a claim, then it's great to have those lower premiums. You don't have to worry about. So it's just kind of a trade-off. The next thing I want to talk about is called the insuring agreement. So the insuring agreement has the promises of the insured, the risks that the insurer assumes and states that there is a contract between the insured and the insurer. So that's the insuring agreement. The next part is going to be called the conditions and exclusions. So this section Spells out the rights and responsibilities of the insurer and the insured. These can vary between contracts, but here are some of the most common clauses that you're going to see in this conditions and exclusions section. The first is called the liberalization clause. So this says that coverage can increase without any additional premium. If, for example, that the company starts offering fire coverage, so coverage for fire damage, it can be added to all existing clauses without having to increase the premium. So they, they can add more coverage without raising the price. It's a pretty good deal for those getting coverage. Next, we have the assignment clause. So this just means that you cannot transfer the benefits of the policy to another person without the permission of the insurer. And this just makes sense. Different people 
have different levels of risk. And so if you just give your claws, you give your coverage to somebody else, that just doesn't make sense. They, they could be a different category of risk. So the insurer needs to be able to say, well, that's not such a good idea. They present a different level of risk. So you just have to get the permission first. So next we have the subrogation clause. And this means that the insurance company can recoup their losses through a third party. This is often done when a third party causes the damage. So like in a car accident, where then your insurance company goes to the person who caused the accident and says, your insurance company has to fit the bill. So they are allowed to go to that third party in the case that somebody else causes damage. Next, we have the appraisal clause. And this means that the insurance company can request a formal appraisal when the value of something comes under dispute. So, for example, if you're talking about damage to a property, property is something that can vary in value quite a bit over time. And so what they originally paid for it may not be what it is exactly worth today. And so you need to look and say, okay, we need to have an outside party, uh, a licensed appraiser come in and say, what is the actual worth of this? So that's the appraisal clause. Then we have duties after a loss clause. So this details what the insured is supposed to do after a loss. So they get in a car accident or something happens to their home or whatever else they have insured. What are their responsibilities? What are the next steps that they have to do? This can include things like trying to prevent further damage and notifying the insurer within a certain time frame. So if they have a problem, then they have to go ahead and tell the insurer within a certain window and try to prevent any further damage from actually happening. So that's just a responsibility that they take on when they get coverage. The next is called the mortgage clause. This means that the lender has to meet the terms of the agreement if the insured does not pay the premiums on time. So the provides some backup with the mortgage. If they, So if the insured doesn't pay their premiums, then they can go after your property. So not great. So you want to make sure you pay your premiums. We also have what's called the other insurance clause, and that just means that it spells out how claims are handled if there's more than one insurer involved in a particular case. So maybe you have coverage through two different things, or you're bringing in that third party and having to work with two insurers. So in that case, it's spelled out in the other insurance clause. Next, we have the loss settlement clause. The loss settlement clause means that property has to be insured to at least 80% of the total replacement cost. So you have to insure at least that much of it. It's great if you can insure the entire value, but the minimum value that you're able to insure is the 80% threshold. So that's a good thing to know. So those are all sorts of different clauses that you might see in this section. So let's talk a little bit about exclusions. So exclusions detail what kind of coverage is not offered. So what is excluded from this particular policy? It's very important to know. 
So there are exceptions to the rule of what is covered. The insured can purchase additional coverage in order to get one or more of these exclusions covered. Common exclusions include things like earthquake coverage, flood coverage, war or terrorism damage, nuclear radiation damage, and damage caused that was intentional, that's caused by the insured, or through demonstrable negligence. So you can purchase what's called endorsements, though. Say, hey, I really would like to have earthquake coverage. So you purchase an earthquake endorsement, and that will allow you to add that on to your existing coverage. But it does mean that you are going to have to pay at least a slightly higher premium. So let's talk a little bit about coverage limits. There are three different terms under which insurers can insure property. Specific coverage is when one item is covered with a specific limit. So your car, your house, one thing. Scheduled coverage is when multiple items are covered and there are different limits on each item. So scheduled coverage, say I have three cars and there's the, this limit on the first one and this other limit on the second one and then a third limit on the third one, just based on the kind of coverage I want for each one of the cars. And then we have what's called blanket coverage. And that is when multiple items are covered, but there is a total limit for all your items. So you say, hey, I've got my three cars with blanket coverage. So there's a certain limit that applies to all of the cars collectively, not an individual limit for each one of the cars. So that's specific coverage and then scheduled coverage. And then finally, blanket coverage. Those are the three different types of terms that you're going to see. There are also different categories of peril policies. So remember, peril being one of the things that can go wrong. The fire, flood, wind damage, whatever. Those are all perils. So if you have a named peril policy, that means that if a peril is not listed, then it is also not insured. So you need to look at their list and say, okay, this is the, these are the list. These are the things included in the list of perils. If it's not there, it's not covered. An open peril or all-risk policy means that a peril is covered as long as it is not specifically excluded. So no news is good news. If it's an open peril or all-risk policy, if you don't see it excluded, then it will be covered. So you need to look and see what kind of policy you're offering to make sure it's whether it's the it has to be named or it has to not be excluded. That's a fine line, but it's an important one. So when we talk about the word loss in an insurance sense, that usually just means damage to a physical property or a case of bodily harm or the loss of usefulness of something valuable. Let's say your car. Yeah, it used to be valuable as a means of transportation, but if you total it, then it's no longer useful as a means of transportation or a loss of income. So you say you get injured on the job, and then you're not able to report to work. And so your income goes down because you're not working as many hours. Losses can also either be direct or indirect. So let's talk about the difference between a direct loss and an indirect loss. So a direct loss is damage to real or personal property that happened because of a covered peril. So something that was listed or not excluded in your policy that causes the loss. That is a direct loss. Say you have fire coverage in your policy and then there's a fire at your home that causes damage to your home. That is a direct loss. 
And then we have an indirect loss, and that is something that is a loss that occurs because of a direct loss, such as first being injured, and then as a result of that direct loss, you lose income because you can't work. So it's like that secondary tier. It It's the next level. It's the next domino in the effect. The, something happens because something else bad first happened. I want to talk a little bit about a loss valuation clause, because that's an important thing. It, it's just a clause that determines how a loss will be figured out. Like, what is the value of the loss? And there's four different ways that you can look to, say, to decide, okay, this is how much needs to be given out in this claim. This is the value of the loss. So first we have the actual cash value. Pretty straightforward. It's the replacement price of this item minus any depreciation. So that's a pretty simple thing to figure out. Then we have the replacement value. It's the cost to repair or replace the item at its current retail cost, not the original price of the item minus depreciation. It's what it, what could you get currently at retail? Then we have the stated or agreed value, and that's an agreed amount to replace the thing, regardless of either appreciation or depreciation. So no matter where the value is gone, if you have a stated or agreed value, you just pay that out. If there's a loss that happens, you pay that value, no matter where the value of the actual object has gone. We also have the valued policy that provides a stated amount for things that are a total loss. So if you can't repair it, that's a complete loss, then you get a stated value. So often, when you have these kinds of losses, a co-insurance must be paid as well. So the co-insurance just means that a portion must also be carried by the insured, such as when a policy has a deductible upon it. So it's some sort of sharing of the cost of replacing the item. That's co-insurance. All right, that was a lot of good content. Let's go back and let you quiz yourself. See if you can answer these questions. I'll give you a few moments to think about each one, and then you can go ahead and test your knowledge. So let's go ahead and get started. All right, so my first question is, what is a policy declaration? What's in there? So a policy declaration gives details about the type of coverage, the time, the location, the names of the parties, the type of property, the limits on the coverage, and any deductibles that might apply. So it just gives all of that pertinent information about a specific insurance policy. My next question is, what is a deductible? Give me an example of when a deductible is used. So a deductible is just something that the insured has to kick in when you are making a claim. So they have to share the cost of the claim in some way. So there's usually a limit, like you have a $500 deductible or a $1,000 deductible or whatever. You have to pay, the customer has to pay that much first before the rest of the insurance coverage kicks in. So this is very common in things like auto insurance or health insurance, where there is some sort of payment that is required first before the rest of the coverage kicks in. 
My next question is, what is the insuring agreement? What does that mean? So the insuring agreement has the promises of the insured, the risks that the insurer assumes, and states that there is a contract between the insured and the insurer. What are you going to find in the conditions and exclusions section of a contract? Here you're going to see the rights and responsibilities of the insurer and the insured, what they both have to do. And these vary between contracts, but here, but let's see if you can name some of the most common clauses that we talked about that are going to be found in this section. So let's see how many you can name. We have the liberalization clause, the assignment clause, subrogation clause, the appraisal clause, the duties after a loss clause, the mortgage clause, the other insurance clause, and the loss settlement clause. Those are all ones that we talked about. Let me ask you a few questions about some of those specific clauses. So first, what does the liberalization clause state if it is included in a contract? In a liberalization clause, coverage can be expanded, so additional coverage given, such as say, hey, we're adding flood insurance to your coverage, without actually having to increase the premium that the insured is paying. So it's a great deal if that's in there. My next question is, what does it mean to have an assignment clause? What is that? So this one just means that you cannot assign your policy to someone new, to another party, without getting permission from the insurer, because different people present different levels of risk. And so that would not be fair to the insurer to give it to someone else who might have a different level of risk from you. My next question is, what does it mean if you have a subrogation clause? What does that mean? So this is just one that says that the insurance company is allowed to recoup their losses from a third party. So for example, in auto insurance, if somebody else causes an accident, your insurance company can go to the other person's insurance company in order to get paid back because it wasn't your fault. It was the other party's fault. My next question is, what is an appraisal clause? Why might you see an appraisal clause in your contract? So this is simply done because sometimes the value of something is going to be in dispute, say property or whatever, and 
That means that the insurance company can come in with an official appraiser and get an official appraisal so that they can determine what kind of coverage to offer. That's an appraisal clause. My next question is, what is meant by the duties after a loss clause? What does that describe? So in this case, it just details what the insured has to do after they have sustained a loss. It can include things like trying to prevent further damage to whatever it is, or just stating this is the window in which this insurance company would like to know that there is a claim that you're going to make. So after you get in that car accident, you have this many days to go ahead and file an official claim, that sort of thing. My next question is, what is the loss settlement clause? What does that provide for? So this states that in order to be a valid insurance policy, you have to insure at least 80% of the value of the thing that you are insuring. You can, of course do more, but you have to cover at least 80%. So that's a good thing to keep in mind. When talking about insurance, what is an exclusion? What does that mean? So an exclusion is something that is not covered. It's talking about, say, these particular perils are not going to be covered. So if you want to get them covered, you might have to pay additional to add on to your existing coverage. So that's an exclusion. And what are some things that are commonly excluded? So we have things like Earthquake damage or flood damage, war and terrorism, nuclear radiation, or things that were intentionally damaged by the insured or through demonstrable negligence on the part of the insured. So those things are typically not covered. My next question is, what are the three different terms under which insurers can insure property? We talked about specific coverage, scheduled coverage, and blanket coverage. So what is the difference between these three kinds of terms? So specific coverage is just that. You are insuring one specific item and not a whole bunch of things. If you have scheduled coverage, you are covering multiple items and each individual item has its own coverage limit. But if you have blanket coverage, you're covering a bunch of items and there is a collective limit for everything. So that's the difference there. My next question is, what are the different categories of peril policies that we talked about? 
So we have the difference between a named peril policy and an open or all risk, an open peril policy. So what's the difference between those two kinds of policies? So when we're talking about a named peril policy, it tells you specifically, these things are named and these things are covered. If it's not on this list, it's not covered. But then on the open peril policy, if it's not specifically excluded, then it's covered. So there's kind of two different ways of looking at a policy. So my next question is, what does the word loss mean when we're talking about insurance? So in this case, it means damage to physical property, a case of bodily harm, or the loss of usefulness of something valuable, or the loss of income. And so these losses can be either direct or indirect. So what's the difference between a direct loss and an indirect loss? So a direct loss is one that is caused by a named peril. And an indirect loss is sort of a secondary one that is caused by the direct loss. So it's uh, the next domino to fall in the chain, so to speak. My next question is, what are the four different ways that you can determine the loss valuation? So how much is needs to be paid out for a specific claim. So in this case, you have the actual cash value, which is the price of the item minus depreciation, the replacement value, the cost to repair or replace the item, the current retail cost. We have the stated or agreed value, that's just a flat agreed amount to replace the thing, regardless of its appreciation or depreciation. Next, we have the valued policy that says you get a stated amount for things that are a total loss. And that is all for our lesson for today. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this sample lesson useful and valuable. If you did, and if you want to purchase the full bundle of audio lessons, please go to insuranceexampodcast.com. There you will find both the property casualty, the life health, and various other audio lessons that might help you prepare for a career in the insurance industry or the financial services industry. Best of luck in your studies.